Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back again with you this this Sunday morning. I hope everybody's keeping well, and um, everyone another Sunday morning to everyone of the lifeboat, and indeed further afield to whoever's tuning in. Where we miss getting along to church every Sunday morning. We miss gathering with you to sing praises unto the Lord, and I really do miss the prayer meeting on the Thursday night, but. Out of all the days in the week, a Sunday's awfully odd, isn't it? But Sunday morning's the, often the hardest one to get adjusted to. But for anybody listening at the lifeboat and further afield, it's good to have you listening with us. And um, as I bring a, a little word of the word of the God to our hearts this morning, just you, as wherever you are in your own homes, just you ask the Lord to speak to you, speak to you in the way that He sees fit. Maybe, maybe we need challenge. Maybe. We need rebuked or maybe we need <coughs> encouraged. But whatever it is, I trust the Lord will bless and speak through this little message this morning and use it as he sees fit for his glory. Well, maybe just start off with a little word of prayer. Everybody praying with me and you ask the Lord to speak to you and to meet your need this morning as well. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before thee this morning, Lord, as a little band of believers, dear God, Although we're, we can't meet together in our normal fashions, Lord, although we can't meet in, in church, dear God, or gathered in a building, Lord, we are reminded, Lord, that the church is not of a building. The church is your people, dear God, and it doesn't matter wherever we meet, whether we whether in a building or across the airwaves, Lord, we know that you wherever you are and wherever your word's going forth, Lord, we ask you just to speak to speak through it this morning. I pray for your help this morning, Lord, as I bring this little word. Lord, as I always pray, Lord, and don't let, let help these stuttering words. Just let it we're giving you all the glory this morning. Don't let there be anything of me in it. Just bless it to your hearts and bless everyone's need who's listening and tuned in to us this morning, Lord. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I just want to speak to you to speak this morning on a subject or on a topic that was that was on my heart as I was reading through the week there, and it was the topic of Christ's love, the topic of Christ's love and the depth of Christ's love and what it should mean to us believers. And we all know that the Bible has much to say this morning about the love of God and Christ. And there's a few different little verses. I would like to turn to this, the turn to this morning. I apologise in advance. I'm probably going to get you to flick about a wee bit, but we know the Lord will speak. You know, in Luke 10 and 27, Matthew 22 and 37, and Mark 12 and 30, each gospel writer gives an account of a, of a lawyer who came to Jesus and asked him what the greatest commandment was. And I just want to read in Luke's account of this and the conversation he had with the Lord from verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted, tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbour as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Of course, this little verse in verse uh, 27 about loving the Lord with all our heart, our soul, our strength and our mind echoes that little verse back in Deuteronomy 6. that tells us to love him with all of our hearts. 
this lawyer's purpose as we read was to tempt, was to tempt the Lord or to put him to a test. We could say he was a man who was an expert in the law, a man maybe with letters after his name. And he doubtless hoped that Jesus would fail this test. He is a type who likes to trap people with subtle little arguments. Christ, he wanted to trap Christ through this argument, but Christ threw his, this man, this lawyer's argument, right back at him. This do and thou shalt live. This do, Jesus said to this lawyer. Can I ask us something this morning? Are we like this ruler? We might know this verse from the law. We might know our Bibles from front to back and back to front. We might know this verse from the law to love him with all our hearts and minds and strength. But is it just a good answer? Just as this lawyer came and said to Jesus, or do we do we actually love him? Uh, live, love him like this? Do we really love him this way? Do we get the depth of this verse? So many of us have lost, I think, what it means to love him with all our hearts. It's a commandment indeed, but do we really love him? We are, we are so prone to forget him. We often sing that little hymn. I we are so prone to sing that little hymn. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. Many believers have maybe lost sight of it completely. We've maybe lost sight of what Christ's love for each and every one of us is. We forget about it. The depth of it. And what it should mean to us. You know we talk and talk and talk. And this day and age, it's, we hear it, it's like a buzzword, if you like, about the deeper life. You hear in Christian circles, they say, I want the deeper life. I want the deeper life with Christ. And we talk about it as if it's some kind of mystery. As if it were something hard to find. As if it were something for the so-called elite Christian, which the Bible has, says nothing about. There's no such thing. When, it, when this deeper life of being in full communion with the Lord and knowing him and his perfect love, it should be the desire of every believer, whether a newborn babe in Christ or an old saint, we should want to know God and his love for yourself and for God himself for no other reason but to know God and his love. The Apostle Paul could say, and he would say, that I may know him. He could, Paul could say that I may know him. I would say Paul here was meaning more than a mere acquaintance. He was, mere, he was meaning to know the Lord Jesus in more than just mere knowledge or head knowledge. He was longing to be drawn into a full knowledge of fellowship with God, which, which, we, which, we, which, is, which is possible through our redemption. You know, man's greatest problem, as we know, is, is our sin. And that sin has separated us, us, us from God. But even, through, even though we are lost in this condition, Scripture would tell us that we can know God. And his love, and not only know it, but we can know it fully. All because of the love he has for us, and what he's done for us on Calvary. Believer, are we seeking him for who he is? Are we seeking for uh, seeking him for his glory with nothing attached? No alternate motives, no alternate intentions, and no alternate thoughts. Do we simply want to know more about him and his love because of who he is, and what he's done for us? A.W. Tozer could say, and he put it well when he said, Can there be any explanation for the fact that so many believers know so, so little of Jesus Christ, even after he has redeemed us and made himself known unto us through salvation? Perhaps we do know, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, perhaps we do know very little about, about his love. Matthew 6 and 33 would say, To seek first the kingdom of God. Are we seeking after him, I wonder? 
Do we love him for himself? You know, our Lord said himself in the gospel that in the days the love of many would wax cold. And in the letters to the seven churches and one in Laodicea, he wrote and said that many have left their first love and perhaps have very much wrong with them spiritually if this is the case. Now, as I was reading this challenge myself, and I'm preaching as much to myself this morning as I am to you. Now, as I was reading this challenge, me, and as I, I want and, of myself, and we need to get our focus and our love rekindled towards him this morning. Indeed, we do. But as I was just reading it, there's a wee passage in First John, First John in chapter, in chapter 4. We read of it and it tells us in verse 16, And we have known and believed the love, of, love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Man, <clears throat> we know that's some little verse that says it all, and I could be, and I, that little verse says it all. And on down it says, we, we love him because he first loved us. You know, that little verse says it all, and I could be quiet. But I just want us to consider a few things about the love of Christ that will maybe help us love him and to know him better. That little verse in First John, it simply said that to, to know his love and to dwell on and friends, if you don't love him, if we don't love him, as this this verse that this lawyer quoted of this verse, back in Deuteronomy, loving him with all of our souls, with all of our hearts, mind and strength, then I would doubt this morning that, the, that we are dwelling in God's love or, or are we dwelling with God at all if we don't love him in these days. You know, Colossians, when there's a wee verse in Colossians, I think it's Colossians chapter 3, it tells us to set your affections on things above. We need to set our affections on things above this morning. We need to get back to Calvary during lockdown. Christ's love and the depth of it. Let's just consider a few things that will hope, hopefully help us to love him, love him better. You know, firstly, I would like, I want to think about the cost of Christ's love. Jump with me if you have your Bibles and if you don't, just you listen to Ephesians Ephesians in chapter 5 in Ephesians chapter 5 we read <clears throat> we read here in verse 2 and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet swelling savor, Savior. Notice the first wee phrase there. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us. That's what I want to think about. Walk in love just as Christ has loved you. And that little phrase in First John that describes the root, the root of believing in, believing in, in his love is love. We have come to know and have believed the love of God, which God has for us. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. The love that God has for us is the ground of our, for our becoming loving people and loving, and loving him more. And the root that we send down into the ground to be nourished is faith. We can't love him without faith this morning. Believing the depth of God's love for me is the key to my growing into a loving person and to loving him more. And the key to believing the love that God has for us is to see is seeing it revealed in the word of God, to see it being revealed in scripture. We know the cost. 
We know the cost was that Christ gave himself for us, a ransom for all. He became sin for us. We know the depth of someone's love for us, by what it costs him. If he sacrifices his life for us, it assures us of a deeper love than if he only sacrifices a few bruises. And we know certainly that Christ didn't just sacrifice a few bruises for us. Oh no, Christ, he gave his life for us, a ransom for all. He sacrifices his life. It's it's far more deeper than if he only sacrifices a few bruises. And we know that Jesus Christ gave himself. He gave his head, his hands, his side. Those wonderful wounds, those wonderful wounds that the Saviour paid for us on Calvary. Second of all, we know the depth of someone's love by how little we deserve it. Now that ought to get us thinking. If we had treated him well all our life and have done all that he expects of us, then when he loves us, it will not prove as much as much as it would have lo- as it would have been if <coughs> then when then if had we had we not deserved it. The more undeserving we are the more amazing and deep his love for us is. We could say that he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. And boys, I'll tell you, my sins were bad. And Paul could say, this is a faithful saying, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You know, each and every one of us has our sins. I don't need to know them. Each and every one of us has our sins. But if we're being redeemed and washed by the blood of the Lamb, they're forgiven us. But if we look at each of our sins and each of those sins, every single one was nailed to that cross. Was He took upon himself. He took it upon himself and was nailed to the cross. And we're high undeserving of it, are we? Filthy sinners deserving not but hell and torment. And yes, I'll say that. Yet he paid the price. Just think about it. How undeserving we are of it. He was sinless and perfect and the most worthy of living. He was the most kind and caring and wise and courageous man that ever lived. Peter could testify that he committed no sin, neither was there any deceit or sin found in his mouth in 1 Peter 2 and 22. Even his enemies could find no fault in him. You'll remember that Pilate washed his hands of him and could say that he found no fault, that he found no fault in this man. So the life he gave for us was no ordinary life of human value, which would be great enough. It was a sinless life, a life of perfectly balanced joy and sorrow. Isaiah 53 tells us he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That be word acquainted, he was well used to. A man of joy and sorrow, tenderness and toughness, justice and mercy, grief and anger, speech and silence, prayer and action. And name but a few things the Saviour was when he was on earth. This life of all the lives that had ever lived was the most valuable life the most worthy of living, the least worthy of dying. This is the life he gave for you, that you might live. And most of all, he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God, which means he was God, as well as man. In this mysterious unity of one person. With this life, Jesus went to the cross for you. This is how much it cost him to cover our sins against the holiness of God. And he paid it willingly so we could live. You know, as the Son of God, Jesus was supremely loved as well by his Father. You know, he could tell us, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him in Matthew 17. And also it tells us, oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And consider not only the life that Jesus sacrificed, 
but consider also what the sacrifice involved. To get to the point where he could die, Jesus had to plan for it. He had to leave the glory of heaven and take on the form of a man to come as a delicate, tender little babe in Bethlehem. So we could so we could so we could suffer and die. You know, the incarnation was probably <clears throat> was one of the preparations for Jesus that would end him being nailed to a cross. Jesus needed a human back to be scourged. He needed a brow and a skull for a place for those thorns. He needed cheeks for Judas to kiss and for the soldiers to spit upon. He needed hands and feet for the to be pierced, and he needed a side for the sword or the spear to pierce him. And he needed a brain with no, so that he could he could understand the entire excruciating death that he did, that he gave for you. I wonder then just what this should mean to us, believers sitting at home. What exactly should this mean to us? I mean, how personally should we take this admiration of Calvary? Should we should we should we feel personally loved? Should it be a personal love this morning? And later on today and tomorrow morning, or should it be more an historical love or admiration for, say, an historical figure? You know, I don't need to answer that for us. The answer is given by the testimony of the of Paul in Galatians two. He told us that he that he was to be crucified with Christ. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith for the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It should shape our very lives. The love of Christ and the cost of it should shape our very lives. It should give everything and everything else second place. You know, there was a wee hymn that loves it all, that tells it all. I can't remember it exactly, but it says, All love's excelling. And Christ's love excelled on Calvary. Nothing else even come close. This is what the Apostle Paul and the Lord himself are calling you to. To see the depth of the love of Christ for you. To believe the love that he has for you and to send those roots of love of your of your life deep down into a bottomless 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 love as paul could say the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me that's personal and gave himself for me oh that's personal one will hardly die for a righteous man but oh even for a good man one would even dare to die but God commandeth his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 5 it tells us that. This is the depth and the cost of Christ's love for us, and it should be taken personally. It should be taken personally to the highest degree this morning. But firstly, then, we ought to love him because of the cost of it. But second of all, I want to think of that we should love him with all our hearts, mind, strength, and soul because of the scope of it. If we jump to... If we jump then to uh, Jeremiah in chapter 31. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3 we read, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. There's not only the cost of his love that shows us the depth to it, but what about the scope of it? Or the personal side to it. It says the Lord hath appeared. It says in Jeremiah 31. Here the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying. Yea I have loved thee with an everlasting love. His love for us is eternal. And that alone ought to make us love him more. A love between a husband and wife. It is temporal. A love between a boy and a girl is temporal. But God's love is unchangeable. Unchanging and eternal. His love is personal. And eternal in its magnitude. 
meaning it's great. You know, I love those little personal pronouns we find in the King James Bible, all of these and thys. He could have been speaking more than once to a group of people, but it's but that little word thee makes it personal. He was speaking to me when he said, I have loved thee. I like the, Paul, the way Paul said it when he wrote, I live by faith. And nothing could be more personal than God's love for his own. But see the magnitude as his love extends to the whole human race. It tells us, for God so loved the world. In John 3.16, he loved an ungrateful, hostile world, but yet he loved. No one can explain it. We just have to accept that. I know not where you may be or in what condition you might be in this morning. But I do know that God loves you. He sent his son to die for me and for you. He paid the debt of sin that is that man is incapable of paying. That's part of his love. It reaches higher, wider, farther, deeper and longer and stronger than man can ever comprehend. It's eternal. God loves me. That's personal. And God loves the world. That's extensive. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. You know, as I read the text in Jeremiah 31, I can easily see the passionate concern that the Lord has for Israel. We know he's reading, he's writing here to the, to the to Israel. The nation had spurned his love. He had sent his prophets to warn the nation, but the nation would not heed his warnings. The nation has to endure years of captivity, among, but, but God has his eye, his concern and compassion upon Israel. You know, he describes it in verse 10. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles after often say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. Is that lovely little picture of the shepherd and his flock? A shepherd has compassion and a personal love for his sheep. Read the entire chapter and we'll see God's compassionate concern for Israel. He will bring them to their homeland, as he said. Now in what manner his love and concern is the same for those who have received him as son and saviour today. The Apostle John could write and say, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. The fact that he loved us is the cost of it and the scope of his love that we've received this morning. He's brought us into a new family. We're under new management. He's brought us into the fold, the sheepfold, to be heirs and to be heirs with God. We're the sheep of his pasture and he is our shepherd. He loves us personally and has brought us into the fold. Then should we not love him personally the way he does for us? You know, the hymn writer said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You know, other things can get our attention. If you think of a little sheep, it'll often wander. It'll not be long until it escapes and has attention. They're very curious, we creatures, our sheep. It won't be long until they're off bouncing away to something else. And you know, we can get our attention off them. But it can seem more as live as it can seem more personal and we think that the love he has for us is distant, but it's not. It's everlasting, it's unchangeable, and it's personal. <clears throat> and this is the love that Paul wanted us to know, and to know more of. Love down here may fade, it may grow cold, and eventually it will die out. How many marriages are perhaps on the rocks because we hear them say, falling out of love. With God this doesn't happen. It's not wavering, it's not dependent on anything. It's eternal and unchanging. And all he wants in return this morning is our hearts and for us to be caught and just to be love him and praise him as much as we can in our day-to-day -day life. You know, there's many a believer, maybe we don't praise him enough. We, still get, we, get, we, get, we should get used to praising him. 
If you can't do it down here, dear help you come heaven. Ephesians 3 and verse 18 says that we may be able to comprehend with all of saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Christ, which pathless knowledge. Notice what the goal of Paul's prayer there was in Ephesians, in Ephesians, that you may be able to comprehend of all saints the breadth and length and height and the full knowledge of Christ's love. Paul wanted the Ephesians to <clears throat> want to comprehend how deep and wide and long is the love of Christ. He admits it is beyond human comprehension. We can't know it all. We will never get to the top or bottom or end of it in any direction, but there will always be more to discover and enjoy. He wants us to prove the inexhaustiveness of Christ's love by experiencing it, not just as it is in the Bible, but not just to know about Christ's love, and it does pass knowledge, but also to experience it, to walk in it day by day. That's, it's everlasting, it's eternal, therefore we can walk in it day by day. And maybe we're not doing that. Maybe we're not walking in it day by day when we ought to be. But how does it mean for us to be able to literally be strong enough to comprehend? You know, do we stand outside and look at it in the way that we're the building so that we can measure how tall and wide it is? No, no. Move backward to verse 17 in that chapter and it says that you being rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians will tell us. The word for grounded here is rested or a foundation. So Paul uses two metaphors, one of a tree with a root and one of a building with a foundation. Our love for him needs to be our foundation of which everything on our life is based upon. We can't know it all, but we can certainly and honestly seek earnestly, earnestly after it. That is how eternal it is and the magnitude of it. Think about the scope and personalness of it this morning. As we sit at home and maybe we feel quite lonely and cast out and feeling as if nobody else cares and there's not much love about Think about the eternalness and personal magnitude of Christ's love. Today things are very uncertain and every minute things are changing. But with God nothing changes, least of all his love for his own. You know, nothing can compare with it. Of course, volumes could be written and never really tell all the truth there is to be held of the love of God. It's everlasting love. But let me share this with you. Such love, such love defined, displayed and demonstrated demands some response from you and me. <clears throat> from you it requires us to love him, to give him, to give your love to him. If you have never received him, and maybe you're listening this morning and you're not even seeing. And maybe you're hearing me talking about the love of Christ, the cost of it and the scope of it. And that, you know, it includes you this morning too. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. You may ask, how do I receive him? The Bible simply says, ask and ye shall receive. He is there where ye are, in the person of the Holy Spirit. As he speaks to your heart, he will come in at your invitation. He will never come unbidden. You have to bid him bidden. You have to ask him in today. Begin today and live forever in his everlasting love. Maybe you haven't even yet experienced it and you're not living in his love. Come to the knowledge of Christ's love and accept him into your heart if you are not seeing. And believer, there's the cost of his love and the scope of it. But begin, we need to shake ourselves. We need to start living in his everlasting love. To experience it on the day to day and not be defeated. Finally then, jump with me to Romans 8 and 35. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. 
It tells us there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. The, the, the cost of Christ's love what he paid for us the scope of Christ's love is everlasting finally then the security of Christ's love the cost of it and the scope of it finally the surety of it nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ I think, I think this little verse is, applies greatly for today so so many of us are separated from our loved ones we can't go near, near them because of fear of this old coronavirus we can't go near them and for many of us we can't visit our grandparents we can't visit grannies or grandas maybe for sons and daughters we can't visit our mothers and fathers but with God nothing can separate us from his love who shall separate us from the love of Christ the answer to that question is found right here in the word of God no one and nothing my aim this morning was to remind you and to awaken you afresh to the unshakable love that Christ has for you and what it should mean for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or any pressure or trouble that you're under? And you know we're, we live in days and remember under a lot of pressure and a lot of trouble. I don't know what your pressure or trouble might be. Maybe you feel as though you're pressed up against a wall. But, but we can rest in, in Christ's love. We can rest in Christ's love for it. We are more than conquerors through him. Tribulation. What about distress? A difficulty or, or a crisis? And as we turn on the news, there's many families, many <coughs> a family this morning and many a difficulty or crisis. Indeed there is. There's many a difficulty. There's many a crisis. But that as well cannot separate us from the love of God. It tells us there of persecution. Or this could be opposition or ridicule. Are your friends ridiculing you? Maybe some, maybe your loved ones are ridiculing you because of your love for God. Maybe your friends, maybe your family, maybe your work colleagues, if you're still working. Maybe they're ridiculing you, they're opposing you. But even that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. It also tells us of famine, or any suffering or scarcity. It tells us of peril. This could be any danger or threat. If you're under, wherever you are, listening and tuning in, if you're under a peril or a threat, it can't separate us from the love of God. Or sword, it says there also. This could be any injury or violence or death. You know, no illness, no virus, no death can separate us from the love of God. And I'm not taken away from the seriousness of what's going on in our world today. Indeed, I'm not. But it, even that cannot separate us from the love of God. Shall any of that separate you? Paul answers, no, 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 no. It can't separate us from him. Verse 37 says, says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer them through his love. We can conquer them. The point today is this. If we are to grow in our love for one another, if we're to grow in our Christian walk, if we're to go into deeper knowledge of Christ's love this morning, 
with a deep, unshakable love, the love of Romans 8 and 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We must be wonderstruck that the love of Christ holds us, that he holds us firmly in the grip of his love. This profound wonder that Christ, the Son of God, loves us, must grip us and hold us and hold our minds, our souls and our hearts. We must put it before our minds at the beginning of each day. He loves me. And then again at mid-morning, we must remind ourselves he loves me. And then at noon, remind ourselves again, he loves me. And then at mid-afternoon, tell us, tell, remind us to pray and remind yourself again that he loves me. And before you go to bed, get, and at supper time, say that he loves me. Work, friends, fear, the list is endless. We are allowing something else to take his rightful place. Maybe we are allowing something to take his place. We're maybe allowing something to separate us from his love in our minds. Whether it be work, friends, fear, or money, the list is endless. Can I ask you, what are you allowing to take the, to take the place of Christ's love? What are you allowing to take the place of this picture of the man of Calvary? We get so caught up with the cross this morning, friends, we don't we sometimes completely miss the point. We completely miss the man on the cross. We need to get back to that. Is anything taking the rightful place and is pushing our love for him further away? Is his love our foundation and our roots? Are we grounded upon it? I don't mean just read about it and accept it as that's nice. Ah, that's not what I mean. No, I mean do we live and experience it every single day? You know, Paul had already encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and had suffered many horrendous things for the sake of the gospel. Paul had been put in chains many times, beaten with whips five times, beaten with sticks three times, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked three times. His life was in constant danger. He'd gone hungry and thirsty and was cold for not having enough clothes, yet Paul was convinced convinced that nothing could separate him from God's love. Paul knew the circumstances of this world did not have any power over him. But not most importantly was that Paul knew and he experienced personally God's love. Paul knew that regardless of circumstances and his own performance, that nothing could separate him from the love of God. Live in the light of this love. We're defeated already if we don't. I know that I barely touched the surface on Christ's love. And there's many a man that could explain and talk about Christ's love in a better and far better way than I could. But there's a cost of it, the scope of it, and the security of it. But then what are we going to do about it? In closing, I ask us to examine ourselves. Has our love for him waxed cold? Is there something amiss? There I say, are we tarnishing Christ's love on our lives based on how we're living? Focus on his love during lockdown and get to know the God who commandeth his love toward us that in while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Get to know the God of that Paul could write that I may know him. And how do we start to know him? Well, we start to know him by simply taking a look at his love. Nothing that occurs in this life has the power to separate a believer from the love of God. I trust this has encouraged you and maybe challenged us to live in a deeper life in the knowledge in the full knowledge of Christ's love this morning continue to stay safe folks continue to pray continue to ask the Lord to speak to you and <clears throat> hopefully it'll not be long till we're all back out at the lifeboat or, or wherever you wherever you usually worship on a Sunday morning hopefully it won't be too long until we're all back God bless and stay safe